Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 187 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, it's a little different today. I have uh, two gentlemen here. Uh, one's remote, catching a flight pretty soon, so we're going to get as much out of him as we can. Um, so we have Casey White. Um, he is the president of Chimera. Chimera. All right, got that right. And then we have Justin Stearns. That's correct. And <laughs> Justin Stearns is the I'm going to innovation specialist. Is that the correct? Yeah, okay. that sounds good to me. Okay. So of um, this company that is, and we'll, we'll dive all into uh, Camara, but just pr- again, uh, correct me if I keep pronouncing that wrong, but I wanted to, uh, we'll start off with Casey just because of limited time, but Casey, who are you? How did this company start? Give us the whole background on this. So still trying to figure out who I am. Every day, I learn a little bit more about myself, but <clears throat> I'm still Casey White, and I started Chimera Integrations in January of 2017 um, under duress, fired from another company that I thought I was the 50% partner of. Um, so I've done security my entire life, uh, starting at about 12 years old, working on my weekends and on free time in the summer in between baseball and volleyball games. So uh, my father was the general manager of a large security company in Syracuse. So that's how I got started in the business. Uh, then I went to school at Buffalo University and graduated with a management degree and jumped right back into the same company and kind of took off in a sales role. And that's really what got me interested in the, the business the high technology nature of what we do, and uh, had a lot of success selling the technology. Um, so that kind of led me off in the direction of, of doing what I've always wanted to do and getting an opportunity to kind of own my own business and not have to answer to somebody else that's you know only focused on my sales reports and micromanaging me. So at the age of 23, I joined a partner um, that's where the, uh, the beginning of my tumultuous two and a half years with Titan Security turned into uh, me getting fired after offering to buy the business from my partner, which ultimately led to the next morning after the night I was fired, starting Chimera Integrations with a very small amount of money that I had saved up for my first job. And over time, over the last five years, I have hired employees as I've had enough money from customers to bring out employees one at a time. So in the, in the past five years, we've, we've been lucky and fortunate enough to survive COVID and grow from just me to we just hired our 38th employee earlier this week. Wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> so he's so, understating that so much. I, I was going to say, I, th- I think he just glossed over that like it was... Uh, 
like everybody does that. Um, so you started, you started, now is this business just from your brain? Like this is a completely startup company? Strictly startup. Um, you know, I, I had some, some education from SUNY Buffalo, but to be honest, I had more of a social experiment and, and met a lot of friends and had a lot of good times, but this was really just a culmination of, of, of the brain I was born with and a little bit of time selling and working for, you know, working for another person. So uh, certainly not a, not an entrepreneur by, by practice, but I'm learning every day. And, you know, I make a ton of mistakes. I make about 10 mistakes every single day. But um, that's really led to what we've done here at Chimera. And a lot of the successes that we have is just making a lot of mistakes, taking a lot of risks and being able to ultimately just survive that. And, and move on day by day. And is that is that your natural, like your nature is just to kind of, I, I use the old adage, was it from Facebook, go fast and break things? Is that kind of the, uh, kind of like a flow of how 100%. you do business? Yes, and, and yes is the is the other the other magic word, just saying yes to every opportunity, yes to every experience that I could possibly have. So, you know, saying yes all the time leads to a lot of, a lot of bad, uh, bad events and bad things that happen, but at the same time, um, every single event that happens in your life, good or bad, is a learning experience. And uh, I think that's really what has led to a lot of our success is just not thinking, just reacting, and going with my gut. Wow. Okay. And Justin, your your background, I kind of go in a little bit. Sure, you're from the area, so yeah. So kind of give us a little background and then kind of how you got tied in with uh, Casey. Yeah, similar uh, similar story, starting right around 10 or 12 years old, working nights and weekends with my father in the security industry. Um, in the 90s, he had a small shop on Bridge Street. You know, the upstairs of the co-op? Yeah. That, that whole thing was his store. We didn't even have a bathroom in it. We used to have to go to the co-op to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Um, and then he sold out to an integrator in the late 90s and then started back up in 2003. I started working for him at that point. I was in high school. Um, and then I moved away from the area. I worked for different locksmiths and integrators all over the country. Started specializing in <clears throat> safe cracking for the Department of Defense in Colorado. Uh, really lucky to get an opportunity working out there with a mentor of mine. Um, moved back in 2008. Thought I was going to start taking over my dad's business, but then got offered an opportunity to go on tour playing reggae music for a year, playing piano. So okay. dropped everything and went on tour for a year when I was 21, uh, came back and then I bought my dad's business, um, grew it up pretty well. And then, uh, started a couple other companies and then fast forward a little bit and go through some transitions. And then Casey and I got introduced, uh, he had hired a new team up North who used to be a strategic partner of mine. And he called and he said, you got to talk to Casey White, the way you've spoken and the way that he speaks, I've you guys are like the only two people I've heard speak like this. And then Casey and I spoke and uh, Casey offered me the opportunity to work with him over the phone. Then he flew up and uh, we shook on it. Um, but, but what Casey has done, he's, he's understated so much of what he does. I mean, to yes, like you learn from your mistakes and you go, but what he has grown in five years to go from one office in Syracuse to an office in Binghamton, Syracuse, Watertown, Potsdam and Plattsburgh in five years with 38 employees. Uh, now we're looking at opening offices in Rochester, Albany. 
This guy services Vermont, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, New York, all before I came on. Like, it's incredible. It, it's, it's beyond words what he's done with 30 to 38 employees, the, the territory that we cover and cover so strategically well is like truly incredible. So as a guy who's been an entrepreneur so he's, since he was 21, I've never considered quote unquote working for another person. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Casey's built here and, and really embodied what a chimera is, um, it's something that I'll, I'll be with for a very long time. It's incredible. So Casey, back back to you. Um, the, the idea of growth and expansion, is that something that was just natural or is that just your mentality of just go, like again, go bigger, go, you know, everything's better, bigger? Good question. Um, I, I actually battle with that all the time. When, when I first started, so back to Titan for a second, I grew Titan to, from two people to about 24 in about years. And I said after that experience, I really, the, the hardest part about what I do and what I really don't like to do is is the whole managing people side of things, to be honest. Um, I really like to sell and I really like to identify opportunities. So when I first started, it was my intention to remain as small as possible. But then as you get more success and you get more customers that really just want to follow you and, and really like what you do, it's hard to turn that down. It's hard to turn down the opportunity of new endeavors and new customers and new locales like Plattsburgh and, and Binghamton. So it just, again, was a reaction. Um, you know, I, I got an opportunity to start three offices all in one shot. And I thought about it for about 35 seconds and, and decided, why not? Sounds like a, a really fun time. It sounds like a new challenge. And at the end of the day, I can solve a lot more customers' problems and I can also bring on a lot more employees and continue to grow this culture that is really employee focused and hopefully make a lot more people's lives better by bringing them all onto the Chimera team. Yeah. So I had to do it. And, and I mean, at this was there any point, obviously starting out is always uh, nerve wracking because of just like you said, capital and just starting from scratch, you don't have the, the client base, but um, over the last five years, how many like, Pumps did you think that you really had to dive over that were just like nerve wracking or, hey, here's a gap I have to jump and I have to kind of just take off and go? Uh, about a million. <laughs> um, I do have a very short memory uh, and I think, that's, I think that's a positive thing. So I, once I get over what seems to be an, an unclimbable obstacle, as soon as I'm on the other side, that obstacle is, is been for that. So I couldn't even tell you some of the difficulties that I've had because I don't leave any space in my brain for that type of uh, for that type of information. So I just really get through it and move on to the next obstacle and, and really don't think about the past. But having zero financial capability, zero entrepreneurial capability, and <clears throat> um, really being put in a very dark place from my former employer all at the same time. Um, that was really the largest hurdle. Um, but once we got past that and I didn't stay up every night thinking about my employees making their paychecks every week, um, now life is just, is just so much better and I can focus on much larger, more, uh, exciting prospects. Yeah. So I, I guess the, 
so taking the, the five years of that, at what point, at what point did you get over that initial stress level? Because you just talked about like making payroll and kind of getting to the point where now you said you're having a little bit more fun. It, I I had just gotten over the level. I would say about two and a half years to three years. Okay. Which also amazingly coincided with when COVID started. So the minute I get through the whole, is everybody going to get paid every week? And is my bank account below zero? Um, then COVID hits. And that just brought in a whole new level of unbelievable angst and stress. Um, so, you know, I had to basically reimagine the entire organization at the drop of a dime and having no clue what this virus was going to be and what it was going to do for our customers. Um, but day one, everybody gets sent home. So nobody has work to do. I can't bill any customers, zero income, but my my employees still need to feed their families. So, you know, imagine that that's a, a pretty difficult situation to be in, but we kept on every single one of our employees through that entire period of time, myself, my general manager, a couple of my salespeople all came together and agreed to stop taking pay for about three weeks just to make sure that the technicians were okay. Um, and then after that, um, our hospital customers and manufacturing customers started inviting us back in and needed us to help solve some of the COVID, COVID issues that were arising. So I was able to get everybody back to work full force after about three weeks of that. And, and what, what size? So was those the, are, what size was the company then relative to now? Um, so at that point, I think we were in the twelve to fifteen range. Wow. So much smaller. I was only operating one office at the time, uh, one and a half, and uh, so it wasn't as big of a deal as it would be now if that happened again. But at the same time, it's uh, it's the only thing that I have in my life and it's, it's like having a, a newborn baby. Yeah, so well, you, you care about your business and your people as much as a mother or father cares for their, for their newborn. Well, and again, like what an understatement Casey's making right now. And like, not only did he save the business, right? Like and maintain it and grow it in the middle of COVID. He went from 15 employees in one office to 30 employees in four offices, right? That, yeah, that's he doubled was, his business. That's where I was going. I said, your, all your expansion has happened since then. Right. Which, which is unbelievable because, I mean, I would have thought that, like, that would have taken – you know, you might have added, like, Plattsburgh after or something like that. But you, you literally did every one – all of your expansion after getting over that home. All on one day. Three offices. Right. And, and, and I think, yeah. that, I, I think I, I'm best at identifying opportunities and making the best of a bad situation. Um, and we found and adopted a few new items and technologies that we were able to use to help hospitals and manufacturing customers – get through this COVID crisis. So um, we definitely made the most of it. And at the same time, I'm thankful that I happened to be in a line of work that was able to do that because there's so many people out there that no matter what they did, could not succeed through COVID. So I, I am thankful that I happened to be in the right line of work. Well, and, and Casey, go the name Chimera, what, where did that come from? And explain the logo because... I think there, there's three. There's a dragon and a lion, and there's another animal. Phoenix. Is it a phoenix? I thought it was. Okay, so it's a phoenix. So give me that. What's yep. the name origin? What's the logo origin? Because obviously it looks like it has meaning. 
a great story. <clears throat> so the, the Phoenix it has a personal meaning to me, and it kind of, I alluded to it a little bit, but I've had a lot of difficulties in my first two jobs um, before starting Chimera and really beaten down by former employers to the point where, you know, they're trying to get me arrested and stuff like that. So really have a Phoenix story rising from the ashes. Um, and then the dragon has, has another personal meeting, but also it means future growth and prosperity <clears throat> in, the, in the Chinese dictionary. So I use the future growth and prosperity to look at uh, what's going forward. I also use the dragon as something that I had battled in my past that I'm trying to get away from. So, you know, 10 years ago, I had a tattoo on my body that was a phoenix and a dragon. And one of my friends noticed that and said, you know that that creature on your body is called a chimera. And I had never heard that word before. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I had heard that word, I knew that my next endeavor, <clears throat> I was going to call chimera. Because I just thought it was such a cool word. Yeah. It reflects myself. And then when I tied it into the business, um, the, the, the lion got added to the mix because the lion represents security. Um, in ancient Egypt, supposedly they built the, um, they built the Sphinx, which was representing a lion to protect all of the tombs and the pyramids. So the lion is typically used to represent security. And it took me almost a year and a half to take my vision of what I wanted this logo to be. Um, I'm not an artistic person or really all that creative, but it took me a year and a half trying different designs with different artists to come up with that logo. And when someone came, came to me with that C-shape and the way they incorporated all the heads, uh, we just made some tweaks and I just fell in love with it. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's really cool and I figured there was a good story, but that story is actually way better than I thought you were going to come up with, so that's good. Gets me every time. Yeah, that, that's a really neat. I know it's, it's powerful, but I hearing your background too. I think the uh, yeah the, the three symbols of the animals is neat. Um, the, and again, I'm, I'm kind of going and I've heard this. And again, I read the, the, the how I basically heard of all this was I read the article in the Press Republican. And I, I right. kind of looked at it, I'm like this is a really cool like sounds like a cool business. And kind of looked a little bit more into you guys, but um, it started out with greatness can only be achieved when the heads of many perform as the body of one. And I saw that on a couple things that you guys had put out. Um, is that the slogan for the company? Yeah. So that's thank you to the man sitting next to you. He actually uh, came up humble. with that. That took me a minute, but yeah, it's, it's the, the evolution of the chimera, right? It has a personal story for each of us. I've got my past that I've come from and I've got my struggles and my challenges as an entrepreneur and, and a lot of other things. Um, you know, so I can kind of embody that, that spirit that Casey's bringing to it. But so many people within the organization have that same story. A lot of the team that we brought up have their own struggle in the past. We're all, the, the amount of experience on this team is, is unbelievable um, as far as industry experience. And we all have this past leading to where we are today, right? So taking that, we all kind of have our personal chimera story. But then again, greatness can only be achieved. And this is just a fact when the heads of many perform as a body of one. Um, and that's something that Casey has, that, that's what it's all about. That's what I've always believed. And again, the, our core beliefs right there. So how many, um, I'm going to call you guys like security gurus, like that have come kind of from, from the background. Like obviously you two is, I mean, other people in the company so that, 
Like, so was that, Casey, when you went out and started to find people, whether it's from acquisition or just kind of bringing people on, was that going directly into the industry and recruiting out of it, or was that developing people into it? That's a good question. Um, so in the beginning, it was kind of necessary as a small, lean company to bring in some people that had the ability to hit the ground running. And there were some people from some of these two former companies that I had worked for. Um, I tend to have people that want to, to follow me where I go. So I had a few people come from company A and company B uh, to get started. But since then, it's the biggest challenge in our industry is finding quality people that have experience because it's a very niche business. So if we started hiring based off of really personality and mentality um, after that. So I'm happy to bring anybody on board that knows how to turn a screwdriver or just has the willingness to say yes and desire to learn. And I take my initial um, gurus, we'll call them, and they are very good teachers and very good trainers. And I trust them to basically breed these people to become chimeras and, and follow the, the methods and, and installation standards that we all agree on is, is what our customers need. So we've had to start reaching outside of the industry more recently because it's just uh, there's no people available with experience. Well, in case in point, we've in the last four weeks in Plattsburgh alone, I've, been, I've hired three people. We got, a, like you just said, just uh, hired somebody this week. They'll be starting in two weeks, uh, but they have no industry experience. It's really, really difficult in such a niche industry. So luckily we do have a core of just ridiculously experienced people that can just mentor and uh, and kind of set up those apprenticeships for the people coming into it. So how, how's the breakdown? Like when you go from the offices and you talked about Justin bringing on three people in Plattsburgh, like what roles are they filling? Are they salespeople or are they technicians or? Mostly technical staff and one administrative staff. So we have what? Sean, Heidi, Heidi, Nick, Nick. We have two Nicks and two Heidi's in Plattsburgh. Okay. It's so confusing. Uh, Lincoln and myself. So I say Sean, so seven or eight people, and it's a uh, mix between admin, management, and uh, and technical staff. And this has been less than a year with the like. This has been six months. Wow, that's crazy. And, and well, we'll be hiring more. So just put it out there. If you got a resume, send it to us. We'll we'll certainly need more people as we grow. So um, now, regarding the space, kind of go into what you guys do. Like what what products, what services, what do you guys offer? Casey, go. There's a lot of stuff. I was looking through. I was looking through your website, but even if you want to just categorize some big, big uh, topic or big um, general themes. <clears throat> Sorry, Justin, you want to start in that, and I'll finish it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so really, it's it's as you probably read about it. Future proofing, wherever we're touching, is is a big part of it. Uh, Technology is aging out, so the biggest piece that we try to bring to the table anytime there's a new technology because there's so much that we cover from safes and vaults and that side of it all the way to iot devices and smart devices to cloud-based and cloud-managed systems so the most important thing when we're vetting anything is is it future proof or is it going to age itself out in five years and be irrelevant um correct me if i'm wrong there casey but so with security as a focus it's grown so much more than that um into things that i don't think we ever imagined doing I'm, but see, see, closed circuit television, you know, you think of this forensic tool that you can look back in time 
is no longer the case anymore. Like somebody breaks into your place, you're screwed. You go back and you look at your cameras. Maybe you find out who did it. Maybe you didn't, but it's done. The technology that Casey has vetted and really brought to the table and that I'm learning about every day is so forward thinking. And I'm going to let him take it from there if he's ready, because it's just it's unbelievable what this this person has done with with engineering these systems. Yeah, I think at the at the at the core of everything, I'm I'm kind of nerdy, kind of in just into the tech of, of what we do. I never really thought I'd be in the security industry when I was younger, but once I started to see what video surveillance and, and artificial intelligence and you know some of this um, uh, some of this software prediction tools that are out there. I just wanted the ability to use that to solve people's problems. Um, we call ourselves a security company, but I really, I really think we're more of a, a solutions provider to our customers. Security gets us in the door, but then once we're in there, we, um, we take a look at everything they do from human resources all the way to supply chain and try to come up with different ways to solve people's problems. Um, a lot of, a lot of things that I've learned over the course of being in one upstate New York, which is typically technologically way behind a lot of the rest of the country. So we're fighting as companies for very few dollars within these organizations. Nobody has security budgets. And if they do, they consider it to be a zero return on investment. <clears throat> so we've tried to identify opportunities to give our customers ROI. Um, and, and because of that, we had to kind of morph away from just doing typical fire alarm systems, which are required by New York State, um, or access control systems and alarm systems that really a lot of other technology companies out there do. Um, we've we've looked out, and I've spent a lot of times a lot of time at like the CES and ISC West Security Expos out in Vegas and Dallas and Tampa to learn all of the new emerging technologies so that we are always on the forefront of what we offer our customers. But I always want to make sure that when we get called in and the customer decides to write us a check, that we're giving them the best possible system for that money that they're giving us. Well, in case a picture says a thousands word, I pulled up my computer. I want to show Galen a, uh, the Ava camera in our office, oh, which I, I think is just yeah, I saw this. Incredible. So we've got the heat map up. So this is like, think about small business, right? This will show you the flow of traffic going through and how people interact with your displays in your office. So if you're a small business, how valuable is it to know if people are even looking at your displays that you're trying to sell equipment on? Uh, furthermore, the, the analytics that are built into this camera will automatically detect screaming, gunshots, anomalies and noises and, and notify you in real time that something bad is happening. Well, yeah. And I, so I was looking at this on your website. It kind of for anybody that can't see this, it's like a, almost like a fishbowl lens kind of. And it looks like it's above the house or above the room um, that you're looking directly down. So think of kind of like a layout where like you see a blueprint of a or a floor plan. Um, oh, now it's like almost. So this is one lens. It's a fisheye lens. Okay. So yeah, that's what you see from the top is a 360 degree view from one lens. Yep. But then it reformats itself however you want it so to. So this is live right now. This is live right now. So there's like people walking around. Yeah. So this is my office. So it's this kind of stuff that is just like, it's next level. It's not this forensic tool that's just sitting there collecting dust until you get screwed. Mm -hmm. It's something that's going to tell you in real time if something's happening. So, and Casey, going back to what you'd said before, the idea of bringing ROI to security, because again, my initial thought before reading, you know, things that, looking at the background of your website was security is like, okay, we have locks, we have cameras, 
you know, we have the generic things needed if there's a break in and we, we can basically roll the footage. Um, but you're, you're looking at it, like you said, with being able to show, um, you know, like a heat map or, or the, um, of where people are walking to see if they're even going to the store or like I said, to whether it's a display or whether it's even products that they have no interest in going and checking out. Um, is that a new angle regarding security? Is that unique to you guys or is that just? Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say it's unique specifically to us. There's a lot of people out there doing it um, in, in larger in larger markets. But I think I would say it's new to New York State and uh, upstate New York specifically mm-hmm. in, in the retail world. So those retail analytics that you speak of, um, we're doing our best to educate the customers that this stuff exists. It's often a challenge because we're sitting across the table from a security director or a facilities manager when we really want to be in front of the marketing manager, uh, knowing that marketing budgets are typically a lot larger in, in most cases than security budgets. So it, it is a challenge trying to bridge the gap between facilities and, and marketing and IT. But, you know, all we can do is, is try to educate and try to prove to these people uh, why implementing something like this is really killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're getting a security surveillance camera that at the exact same time is giving you marketing intelligence and actionable intelligence on how you set up your store, how you staff uh, the number of cash registers that you have, and how you provide better support. As, as we all know, retail is, is starting to die. Um, we can make retailers more intelligent with, with these analytics. Yeah, the, I mean, the, I can just see just by looking at that one example, and I'm sure, like I said, um, there's plenty of others, but it's just the efficiency and it's able to, because again, small business or really any business at the end of the day, you want to be more efficient, more lean, um, kind of just less wasteful. So, um, but again, in my mind, it's like using security or using systems within the security space to do that um, was just like a little bit of a paradigm shift for me just even reading it. Cause it just seemed I was, like, again, I was always thinking, like you said, the kind of the old hardware that just sits there and collects the data. So, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And furthermore, I mean, even just like, there's so much that I don't think we ever imagined getting into. I've sold so many thermostats and water meters recently. Like what do water meters and thermostats have to do with security? And it's because of the smart apartment technology we're building out that ties into light switches, outlets. Uh, so now a tenant has an app to control their own apartment. And now the landlord has a way to control their utility bill, you know? Yeah, and I, I, uh, there's some stuff I want to go into because I had a lot of notes down regarding that, like specific things. But um, I I think the the idea of like smart tech cities and future proofing, and this is, because the one I saw was we were talking about like the trash can overflowing, like just like public works department, like, you know, whether it's the city rack or public works, they just... Um, it, it again allows people not to have to just drive around and look, but they actually know like, Hey, that street's at, like, so to me, the efficiency model of time, um, the other thing I, I saw with, um, like driving, you talked about being able to, to remotely, that's obviously the garbage. But the other day someone was telling me they had to drive the screw in Lake and back to take a measurement of a bathroom. There's five minutes to yeah. me that from here, that's three hours in my eyes of, or even two and a half hours of just wasted travel. Go ahead and write that person's name down. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Well, it's, no. it's a, it's a well, company. So, so, I, I, so that's the exact problem that we solved recently um, for a camp. So they're only open three months a year, but they've got to get their water meter readings on every single outbuilding every single day of the year. Yeah. So they're paying somebody 365 days 
a year to go in and, and get these readings and, and get it off. For a couple thousand bucks, we went in, we put smart water meters on everything, and it gives them a graph every single day to the drop of how much water is being used in every building, and it allows them to stay in compliance. Same thing with temperature monitoring. Think about all the restaurants and schools. They have this hand chart. They go down and they, they have to write for the health department how many what the temperature of every fridge and freezer is. Mm-hmm. For so inexpensive, like forty dollars a freezer, I think those sensors are automated fully at yeah. your at your fingertips through an app. It'll tell you if the parameters go down, if you have catastrophic failure of your systems before it happens. It, it's crazy. It, well, it's just thinking like time. Look no, how do you, how do you guys personally use um, within the company use this technology? What do you mean? Like just with your stores and stuff, are you guys using a lot of like, you, obviously you have five, five locations now, but just that or anything that you guys do, whether it's out on the road or technicians, you guys, are you able to utilize some of these? Yeah. Casey? Yeah. yeah so we typically utilize everything that we sell before we start selling it. Uh, that, that really helps our salespeople learn what they're selling. I like to make sure that every one of my salespeople is very technical technically savvy uh, because I just don't want to have that image of, of the salespeople just being a sales guy, sales girl. Um, so we use everything that we sell before we sell it. And we also have all of our technicians um, install these things in, in our offices or our vehicles before anything goes out. With you. Uh, we don't typically treat ourselves as far as spending money on ourselves, the way that we want our customers to feel, because we're a lot more, uh, we're a lot more lean and modest than that. But we certainly do try and utilize everything uh, that we sell, as well as I go into each business, and I know Justin and our other salespeople do this too. Like an entrepreneur, we put ourselves in our customers' shoes and say, "What is it that I would want if I ran your business?" to make my life as easy and efficient and profitable as possible. So I think we really look at every opportunity like like we are the entrepreneur on the other side of the table. Well, and again, I got the Ava camera pulled up here. So on this in this office right now, and then I've got an app on my phone, you'll notice this light switch should go on here in a second. That's a water fountain down there. I can turn that off. Our temperature and humidity is controlled from my phone. Um, we've got a POE speaker a halo device for monitoring, nicotine, um, THC, things like that. Um, This is a gateway for the IoT devices. We have temperature and and some other sensors in there. We have our eagle eye, cloud-based camera system, access control, and more smart apartment technologies. Um, So literally everything that we do is hooked up. Not everything, but a really large part of it. Even, you know, we do POE phones right there on the front counter, and we use our own phone systems. so and, a, and Justin gets all the best of the best, just so you know. <laughs> he's got the newest office, and he's got the only storefront. Um, so we're actually going to p- try to model a lot of our other offices after what we're doing in Plattsburgh. Oh, nice. Uh, but, but typically, our offices have really been for our employees only. We haven't really had a whole lot of walk-in traffic. Um, but we're redesigning our Syracuse office um, as we speak. And we just leased a, a, a Watertown office that has a, a perfect spot for a, a showroom similar to what we're doing in Plattsburgh. So are, are most of your sales, are they done um, like through an e-commerce kind of site or is no. this just more direct to direct business to business? It's all personalized. 0% is e-commerce right now. <clears throat> We'd like to change that over time, but 
every single customer gets a face-to-face on-site visit survey, um, engineering design, and then proposal in order to 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 make it one sale. So it all has to be it custom tailored. Sale and it is expensive time-wise to do that, but. What we do is complex, and we want to make sure that we're, we're fully customizing each system for each application. So it's more of like initial consultations. Like you go, a company would call you up, or and is this uh, residential also? Because you talked about doing like the apartments. The smart apartments for multifamily housing, we don't go to residential now. So okay. property managers, um, that that type of. So that would be the, about the extent of it. Would just be apartments and and you like apartment buildings and multi units. Yeah, we do some higher end residential, you know, the people that have large mansions or or multi locations with camps. Um, A lot of our business owners obviously have a place to live and they trust us enough where they want us to also do their home. But we do not look for single family residential customers unless it's a, you know, an Airbnb or a vacation rental type application. Yep. And this is part of just the business model, just like target market, just yep. weeding out. Okay. Um, well, and, and think about and the competition we, in that space. We don't like to compete. Exactly. We, we like to we like to define our own lane. Mm-hmm. And there's about 130 residential companies out there, and it's become a, a really a national or global uh, sales cycle for these residential apartments. You know, one of the biggest residential companies in in the world is out of Utah, and we're seeing these. You know, these, these Utah-based companies sending a, a salesperson and a technician out to each neighborhood, and they're just knocking on door after door after door. And, and we have no interest in competing with that low-end buying customer-type market. Right, cookie-cutter solutions. That's not where our expertise is. No. We want to provide our, our, our centuries of experience to our customers, not our buying power in our, our massive amount of, of finances. That's that's just not. Yeah. yeah, it's a little more quality over quantity kind of approach. We're just not like, like I said, door Absolutely. knocking. Um, and Casey, for, for you, how do you, um, I guess, how do, how do you come up with the ideas or kind of cast the vision or kind of plan through stuff? I mean, you obviously have a background in it, but you know, what's your, what's the way that you go about, um, I guess, the leading the ship of, of uh, Chimera? Never really thought about that. <laughs> I think that's where why you hired no, me. <laughs> is that is that more? There's no blueprint whatsoever. So, so it's just kind of as need, as needs arise, or or Justin, if you want to jump in on that, like how do you guys? Because you talk about innovation specialists, like obviously innovations come up with new ideas and connecting and um, evolving what's what's been there. Like how does is that like a focus? Like what's your how's your brain work really? Casey, why did you hire me? I don't know. You answer that. I hired him because uh, we had one phone call together and <laughs> I knew immediately after about three minutes of talking to him that he was someone that I wanted to bring on. Um, it's really just having a similar mindset of finding problems in the world that people, other people aren't solving or competitors aren't, aren't solving. So we, we find ourselves in the nooks and crannies where everybody forgets or doesn't want to pay attention to. Um, so, so really our innovation comes from 
one, putting ourselves in the right places and seeing all of the technology that is coming out. Um, every single day, we're looking at new technology to see if it has a fit or makes sense for our customers. Um, we try to we try to have an answer for every problem. So when a, one customer in one vertical calls us and comes up with this problem, and it, it's new to us, we find that solution, and then we go out to all of our other customers in that same vertical and try to educate them on how we solve someone else's problem. So we really utilize our current customer base and our employees who are also very thoughtful and, and have a lot of ingenuity. Um, we use all that information to, to kind of guide us and put us in the direction that we want to go. Uh, so, and then, you know, like the whole COVID thing, we take, we take macro situations that we have no control of, like COVID or like our evolving energy crisis or our, you know, our desire to go and be more green and efficient. And we use those things that are out of our control and try to find technologies to help solve those. So we do see out in the not so distant future, spending a lot more time and effort trying to become more energy and water and resource efficient. Uh, and that's where we get into some of that water monitoring and energy monitoring so that we as a planet continue to, can continue to exist. So, so a lot of the problems, they easily show themselves to you guys for the most part. Like as you're going through, you're just experiencing, you're experiencing these day to day, having the background and able to make that connection of like, we can figure that out. You've ever had a toothache for six months or like just some sort of like a back pain. You get yep. used to it after a while. And I, th I think where our focus is, is we go in and we find that ache that's there that everybody has just accepted as normal mm -hmm. and we fix it and then make it better. Right. Like, I mean, we do much more beyond that as well. But as far as problem solving concerns, so many people accept the problems that they have is this up. This is the way of doing business. This is a way of life. This is the standard of living in my apartment. This is the way that I have to drive to Screwing Lake to go check a freaking meter. Yeah. Right. Those are the types of headaches that people have just accepted as normal that we don't accept as normal. And we try to find innovative solutions to bring them to the next level. So a lot of it, there is what you find that problem, then it just comes into the problem solving. Like, that's it. So you guys, I'm like, I'm guessing are both just very resourceful humans. Well, that's it. Like his business card says, uh, what solutionist security solutionist. Security solutionist. And I didn't know that. And he's like, what do you want your title to be when I hired? I'm like, how about innovation specialist? <laughs> and then so both of our cards just say that these random terms that don't really mean anything, but mean a lot to us. Right. Yeah. So, so that, and, uh, well, I, I, uh, you know, being in a, Industry that's, I mean, it's different than you guys, but it's still the idea that you have to kind of figure things out as you go. And I find that the people that typically get are able to be successful are the ones that are just naturally resourceful. They just figure out problems and they don't have to rely on. I've always kind of wanted to be self reliant on myself. I mean, help, you need help. Like, and you guys said, you, you know, you work as a team, but I think at the end of the day, the individual parts that are coming together as a team all have to be kind of have that mindset of just let me figure this out. Yep. Well, that's the core value and it's important yeah. to build a team around core values. Yeah. And if you don't have a problem solving part of you, that doesn't really match our, our core values as a company. It's probably not the best fit. If you're not ready to solve problems, then, you know, that's what we do. We live in problems. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Being a problem solver and a solution provider isn't really the most profitable line of work because it is difficult yeah. and we are learning something new almost every single day. So we're, we, that's a testament to our employees as well. They're so flexible and so willing to learn new things and we keep throwing new, new ideas and new tech at them and they just, 
take it in stride. Yep. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's, what we do is very difficult because we're having to take these from different manufacturers and different software providers and try to figure out how to make them all work together to provide a single pane of glass or really a single ecosystem for the customer that all operates with as little input from them as possible, right? So we want it to be thinking and acting on their behalf so they don't have to do it and they can go make uh, make their money and make bigger level decisions for their company and not have to worry about their their security systems and their, their people and their, their different you know temperature and water situations. So, so when you, you guys um are Casey, you said some or you suggesting you were describing Casey as like engineering some of these are are you guys um, coming up with these by yourselves or a lot of these kind of taking from other company like sub or uh, suppliers I guess and bringing them right. in. We're not manufacturing things if that's what you mean or necessarily designing the software and, and really where Casey brings it to the next level and and I guess I do as well is, is bringing these finding the systems mm -hmm. they're different systems and how do you make them speak together for that single pane of glass like you were just talking about I think that's that's the magic in the sauce right there okay in the level yeah of we're, we're not uh, we're not code writers we're not manufacturing we take what they make and we put a little bit of extra thought and considered value added resellers and integrators so we add value to what they, their product is by molding it into our customers and then integrating it into the system that they've already invested in some cases so you guys are basically um, you're like tinkerers, basically taking all these things and just kind of putting yeah. them together and playing playing around. That's actually Casey's nickname is Tinkerbell. Is it for no. that reason? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for that reason. That was just a low jab. <laughs> uh, so so I, uh, I have a lot of tinkerers as tech, um, and I do like to play with things. But um, as as we grow, it becomes harder for me to spend that time being Tinkerbell, and I got to hire, <laughs> I like to surround myself with a lot of people that are way, way smarter than I am. And, and that's, that's my goal is, is putting a lot of smart people around me so I can just uh, hopefully point them in the right direction. Well, and again, I think that's... And just real quick, I have, I have 10 minutes before I really, I got to run. So I just want to make sure you got through what you wanted to ask me before I had to run for now. Let, well, let me do, I'll do a couple rapid fires on you, Casey, and then we'll switch it all over. Most of, I think Justin could probably okay. answer most of the uh, the tech questions I have coming up. So We'll see, um, actually. Well, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, um, I guess, Casey, the, the two biggest ones I wanted to, um, and again, just kind of maybe just, uh, you you dove into most of them, but kind of the mission for, the, for what you're doing and then... Um, or what was do the mission first of overall what's your what's your goal right now with the company yes my goal is to continue to provide a good workplace for all of my employees and a comfortable place so that all of the families that work for me for us can prosper and be happy working with us until they're done working um, and, and as well provide a higher level of security technology and monitoring technology to all of the customers in New York State to not only support each individual customer, but we're also hoping to see Central New York, Upstate New York, um, the North Country, Southern Tier. It's all been a relatively depressed part of the state and in a lot of cases, a part of the country. 
And we really want to see that change. And I think the only way that we're going to attract more people and attract more dollars into the area is by increasing efficiencies in technology so that we can attract high-tech companies into the area and then we can continue. It's, a, it's, a, it's an evolving cycle for us. So the more tech companies that come in, the more opportunities we have for higher-level customers and higher-level opportunities. So first and foremost, my employees have a place to work that they're very comfortable in and they can have a career in. Second, picking up our communities around us. And last but not least, me having the life that I wanted to have, not working for somebody else, and having the ability to just jump on different opportunities as they arise in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, that, that's very cool. Um, does he uh, does he know Gary Douglas at all? Uh, I introduced him to Gary when he flew up and met me. I was going to say, in case if yep. you did that pitch in front of Gary Douglas, I think you'd be, make a lifelong friend. So, um, but yeah, the idea of trying like, I think limiting the because the one thing, um, and Justin, you grew up your whole life here in the North Country. Yeah, I moved for a little I mean, bit, but back and but forth. I did grow up here. Um, and I think that people from this area. At least the ones that stick around, I think, really believe in the area, and I think that one of the one of the things that I like, and I, I think you guys have a little bit of this, is that kind of like rocky underdog, a little bit like fighting, and I think that one of the kind of clawing back from maybe some um, adversity, but I think the North Country, I look at, you know, we've had a lot of good, and then we've had like ups and downs, you know, whether it's economy, whether you know, obviously the base closing, or you know, there's the recession, we've had a few things that have kind of had ebbs and flows in our uh, local area, but I find that we're, feels like the foundation of the North country is a little bit stronger right now going forward. Um, and actually, Justin, you can kind of speak to this having, you know, been around longer than me and working, I think longer than me. Was that so, an old joke? I, how old are you? 35. That's all you are. Okay. I don't feel as bad. Then, so. <laughs> you, you guys are, t- you, Casey, how old are you? 33. Oh shit. You guys, I'm not, I don't feel as bad then. Um, so, but but you but you've been doing stuff for, for since 2010. So we're about to, we started our careers around the same time. But you guys were doing different businesses. So like, what do you think going? You know, because I we'll go back into your you know when Casey leaves, we'll dive a little bit back more into probably your history with uh, some of the other businesses. But how do you think the North Country has changed over the last? Well, here's the thing. The North Country is behind, right? It's it's 10 years behind technologically than the rest of the country, and that's just a fact. Um, but obviously Clinton County has what, uh, an average household income of $37,000 income. It's, it's not great, but the problem is, is the generational ignorance that's causing it. I think, because what I've noticed, what a lot of people have noticed, and then it's not by taking advantage of the area, but in this area, there's so much opportunity to grow. I lived all over the country and I've worked and I had some great jobs all over the country. I came back for a reason and it's, it's not. It's hard to be successful, but it's not hard to be successful. It takes a little bit of hustle and some creativity, but there's so much opportunity in this area. And I'm really just now, after kind of my tenure in, in business in this community, starting to see some, some really cool things happening um, just now. Yeah, it, I feel it too. That's why... And uh, There's an evolution happening, and it's, it's going to be abrupt. Well, I think... Yeah, and I think the, the thing that jumps out to me, and, and uh, Casey, while we have you for a few more minutes, it's... Um, I, when you talk about like the generational gap or the, like you said, whether it's ignorance of, and I think that's a trend that follows it, you know, hopefully I I hope that as I get older, I stay more open-minded and trying to work through stuff. But I find that the, 
wave of what we're seeing now, there's a, a merge of like the younger and the older generation. I don't know if that has to do, well, a lot of it has to do with technology, but I think just the way that we're more interconnected now than we've ever been. I think that we're starting to um, develop ideas that are being brought here a little more easily. I think we're making connections more easily than we've ever been able to. And I think being able to connect us with some of these bigger areas and again, you know, start this business starting out in the Syracuse area, even taking, you know, kind of a regionally big player in Syracuse and having a direct connection to Plattsburgh so easily um, then makes us more relevant. And I think when you start going in, you guys just being in that tech space, um, like I said, the innovation of just drawing, you know, that because I, I was reading on you guys about taking just that old, outdated North Country security, but then also putting in, like you said, the ROI of security, um, I think is going to allow us to be more relevant in regarding bringing in the uh, manufacturing companies or other tech companies that you guys were alluding to. Um, I think that, that all these things have an interconnectedness that you guys are going in um, as tinkerers or whatever, as the Tinkerbell and taking those ideas and kind of um, almost being like a little bit of a, a web to connect everything that hopefully will add that more synergistic well, and that's it's, it's building the whole community from the standard of living and multifamily housing yeah. and increasing the opportunity for them to have a great home that they can just feel good about and have the technology that maybe they couldn't afford before that can elevate their lives all the way to manufacturing. Healthcare is a huge market that we serve. Education is a huge market that we serve. So really on every level, it's about building the community toward the future. Um, and I guess in Casey, what last thing I wanted to ask you is what's your vision for the future? And personally for the company. It could be both. I mean, I, we, the mission, I mean, the mission I think is going to tie into the vision, but like what's your hope? Uh, you've had a meteoric rise over the last two years um, and obviously five years, but the last two has been um, quite large. I mean, do you expect that that's going to just increase? Um, I, I'm not going to force anything. Yeah, I, I've always grown organically. <clears throat> and if there's a need for us in an area, then I'm going to continue to grow. Uh, I don't, if you ask me today, gun to my head, where am I going to be in five years? Am I going to have 10, 20 up? I would say I'd love to have seven super efficient and uh, highly successful offices in New York State alone. Um, I don't, I don't see us growing too far out of New York State. But again, I didn't, I didn't see us growing into six offices two and a half years ago either. So I want to make sure that we're continuing to, to, uh, and we're continuing to serve our customer base the best possible security as possible. And if, if for some reason, um, <clears throat> our customer base or New York State isn't enough for us to continue to supply the lifestyle to our employees that we are currently doing, then we will have to morph and grow at that time. But I am walking through life with my eyes and ears open and any opportunity that arises in, in a technology related field, uh, we're going to look at that opportunity as a way to pivot or, or grow. So I, I, I unfortunately don't have a, a, a great vision or a great idea. But if, if it was up to me, I'd be doing something in the uh, energy efficiency or sustainability fields uh, as, as a way to kind of add another head to the, to the Chimera. And roughly how, um, out of the five offices, like you take Plattsburgh, you said it serves into Vermont and New Hampshire? 
Well, all of us serve into Vermont and New Hampshire and Pennsylvania. Yeah, it just depends logistically what's going on. Okay, so there there is a farther reach than New York State in general. Yeah. Yeah, there is. I just I, I don't plan on growing into those states, but but at being on the border of Pennsylvania down in Binghamton, it makes sense that we're getting into some of the the cities and towns in in Pennsylvania. And in a lot of cases, we've grown an office on one on one customer. So Binghamton was born out of one hospital down there that needed us for everything that they do. And we have a technician planted in that hospital 40 hours a week. So if I get a call from a Northern Pennsylvania hospital that wants the same thing, um, I'm, I'm pretty certain I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that might create a Pennsylvania office. So we really, we really grow with opportunities. That come yeah, that's cool. Why are you out West right now, Casey? <laughs> Opportunity. Uh, because, well, there's there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is being in the eye of the tornado. Sometimes it, it's hard to see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So hard to get things done. I literally, this is not just a cliche, but I don't have a door on my office in Syracuse. So the door is can't be shut, and I'm just I'm the kind of uh, I guess boss. I hate to be called boss. I'm the kind of owner that is very open to talking and in, in, in solving any problem from, from the, the biggest to the smallest. And sometimes that actually bogs me down because I'm not good at saying no. So when we decided to take a trip out to Denver a year and a half ago, um, that's when all the growth in the real uh, chimera started to present itself to me. And it, it's, it's incredible what I can do when I'm not in the, office, the physical office every single day. So. And that was the start, and I have gained some opportunities out here, and there will be some chimera in Utah or, or Colorado in the distant future, but it's it's going to look a lot different than the chimera in New York State. Is, uh, and Casey, kind of, um, I, I guess going out, is this, are you meeting with people, or is this more of like get away, kind of get, get away by yourself and just kind of think and process and plan and do all that? It was meant to be a, a getaway and think and process, but I can't sit still for that long. So um, I've found opportunities in both Utah and Colorado um, almost immediately. And I've actually been working on a few projects that are a little bit outside of what Chimera does up in Syracuse. So I've been kind of doing more technology implementations for larger manufacturing facilities out here and kind of acting more as a, a project manager than a, uh, a you know a security integrator out here. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think that one one of the things that I find that I have hard to, a hard time is when you're in the day to day is just being able to take that step back and just have time to yourself. And because I think at the end of the day, when you're trying to lead a team and and or even just in, you know diving into that and leading. The Plattsburgh, it's like you need time to just process stuff. And sometimes you're just in that, like you said, the eye of the hurricane. You get too much in the, the actual hurricane or tornado or whatever you want to call it where you're just spinning around. It's like trying to get back to the eye where there's chaos is all around you, but you have some quiet time. And I find – do you guys – are you able to – either of you able to do that much? Do. I just like time for yourself to think, process, plan. That's another one of the most important core values that Casey expressed to me. Sorry to take that one, Casey, but – that's again, I never considered working for anybody else. He values everybody on the team's personal time is the most valuable thing. 
So drawing that line, you know, Casey more than encourages it. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. Or else what are we doing it for? But go ahead, Casey. Sorry. Yeah, and I, I try to, you know, I try to instill my values in other people. Um, I, I, I do a lot outside of, but I also have a lot of time to, so obviously there's not a lot of time for sleep, but I'm okay with that. So I try to teach some of the older guys who have worked their, worked their selves to the bone their entire lives. I try to instill in them that work is not the only thing about life and you you can't be very good at what you do if all you do is work you need experiences outside of work to bring in and become a more well-rounded person so the first thing i do when i find somebody that's worked 60 70 hours a week like like i have is i tell them to go take a week vacation maybe their first vacation they've had in a decade but i that's some of what I bring to the table for, for what we call the older guys. Yeah. No, I, I love. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Casey. I got to run on that note. Okay. No, that was a good one to end on. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey. I appreciate it, and yeah. I, I would love to add some more uh, later on if we could. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, we'll, I, there's more I want to ask you, but we'll, enjoy your trip. Have fun out there. Safe travels, brother. Okay. Thank you, Galen. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, man. See you guys. All right, so um, okay, we're, we're back. It feels weird when you get that off. Now it's just back, back, right. back in studio. Um, so <laughs> one of the, yeah, so I want to kind of dive a little bit more back into you, Justin. Um, you know, obviously. So I mean, I'm going to kind of skip up to from the Colorado stuff, but Max Safe and Lock. Um, that was the company that you bought from your father. Yeah, in 2010. And you ran that, and that was kind of your, I'd say, was that your introduction to this? But you had been, obviously, he had been running that years prior, so. Yeah, he'd been running it since 2003. Um, didn't do so well when the, the housing market crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, and his business went into a really, really terrible place. So I was really nervous to buy it um, because it wasn't doing well at the time. Uh, full disclosure, he'd lost in my family home, his home in the housing market crash. So I'm coming into this not knowing if I'm able to pay bills and I paid a very fair amount for the, for the business. So it was a scary move. I, uh, I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know, I guess I knew more than I thought I did in business cause I did really well with it, but I grew his business, uh, you know, 600% in two years, um, which was interesting to mitigate and learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about people growing out of business and that was something that I was really afraid of doing. And like Casey, I hired people that, um, that just knew more than me. I realized like, okay, I don't actually know Jack about business. Like I don't, that's not my background. So I hired people, consultants, CPAs, lawyers, whatever I needed mm-hmm. to equip myself with the tools I needed to be successful and just kind of vicariously or just like through them, uh, learned how to run a business. And then I'm sure as you'll get into, there was a couple other businesses that got introduced there. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you went from there and then there was a Plattsburgh Knife Company. Plattsburgh Knife Company. Now, did you sh- now Max Safe and Lock, did you shut that down to do Plattsburgh Knife Company? No, I, I kept it. Uh, what I love about business is it's a malleable piece of clay. Yeah. There's no rules. What I love is Warren Buffett's business with uh, Berkshire Hathaway was originally a textile company. Right. But the textile part of it didn't really make that much money. And that's not what it is today. Right. 
there's no rules in business and there's really no rules in general other than the ones that we give ourselves that we accept right so uh i i rented the uh first i went with max in 2011 i moved up to route three because i knew that's where i needed to be but i was on the smaller end of the plaza mm-hmm. um, i outgrew that space i was busting out of the seams i had a storage container out back full of stuff like we just couldn't fit in a thousand square feet anymore this is right on sorrel right that corner yep right yep. on that corner yep so then I moved to the end of the plaza, which tripled our space, but still outgrew that and had a shipping container out back. Um, and then I took the space next to us, was another 2,000 square feet and opened Plattsburgh Knife Company there. Um, and Plattsburgh Knife Company was was really this dream. And I realized that in the service, specifically in the locksmith industry, and the integration was different. I had dabbled in integrations my whole life. But it was a super, it, at the time, was very saturated in this area. And again, just like Casey, I don't like competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to mold from locksmith, which really has a glass ceiling as far as, and I did really well, better than a lot of people expected in a small market, um, at, at least in the industry, but, but there was a glass ceiling and I would, my goal was to create 50 jobs in the North country that paid more than 50,000 a year. I was sick of hearing employers say that they can't afford to pay their employees more and they're not worth more. Mm-hmm. Hearing people define somebody's worth was like the biggest thing is I served on all these board of directors and I'm hearing it just over and over and over again. They're not worth it. You can't pay more. Like who the hell are you? Like you're, it's my job to create worth in the position. Mm-hmm. So make it worth it. And I was so sick of hearing that. So really Plattsburgh knife company, uh, one of my, greatest mentors um, is Marco Ludwig, the CEO of Schluter Systems. Um, and he would just mentor me from time to time and, and help me grow. So I, I approached him with the problem of how do I create you know, these 50 jobs and I want to do it with this idea that I have for Plattsburgh Knife Company. And our slogan was uh, build your legacy because um, that was kind of my legacy. Um, and we started kind of going down that path and, and building the model that way and then started a consulting company after that. So. But you ended up, you closed Plattsburgh Knife Company? Yeah, hashtag divorce. Oh. <laughs> okay. When I was 30. So yeah, I went through a pretty uh, pretty messy one there. Okay. And so. then it, and really too, it was an opportunity to hit a hard reset when I was 30, 31 years old. Um, I spent three years really just backing off. I, I took off, stepped off of all the boards that I was on and just really focused on me mm-hmm. for a while. Kind of like Casey, I was this yes man that was just always saying yes I served on a lot of boards and it was just like exhausting and I know three businesses at the time and have two kids. Um, so I really needed to take a time to reflect and say, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And I toyed around over the last three years with a couple of business ideas. Um, I started one last spring, um, toying with an idea again on the consulting realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then never in a million years, imagine I'd be where I am today until Casey, like he said, he called and in one conversation, we both agreed to change our lives. And <laughs> so how did you connect with him? Well, so during that, that during that ex- expansion into the Northern uh, territories, as we call them, um, for Chimera, he brought on these 15 employees, the VP of the company that, well, one of the territory managers was worked for another company that I was a, strate- a strategic partner with, um, with Max. So it was another integrator. So we had, uh, we've been friends for years. He was an integrator. I was more in the physical security and door hardware world uh, and safes and vaults. So we had synergy between what we did and, and it worked well. Um, but what I always wanted to do was marry the physical security with the integration security on like a next level. Um, so when Casey hired that gentleman, he called me up and he said, you and Casey are speaking the same language. 
and it's weird. <laughs> so, so he just introduced you. Yeah. So he introduced us and, and literally in the first call, uh, Casey's like, yep. Like what, what's it going to take? We got to work together. Um, cool. Casey, again, like he said, he likes to be in that sales role, vetting technology. Um, the business end of it isn't what makes him happy. The business end of it and that messy end of it is exactly what makes me happy. I love solving problems internally mm -hmm. as much as I do externally. So I, I kind of define my job as synergy. And it's my job to create synergy between accounting and marketing and marketing and sales and sales and technicians and then all of that leading back to the customer. And really as long as we have synergy and everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction at the same time, then I'm happy and that's my job. Yeah, that's cool. I. Uh, so, so it's always, when you were talking about or going through the transition from I mean, safes and knives to me seem a little bit different. I mean, there's probably some, a lot of parallels, but a little bit different. But really, There's no parallel. There's none at all? No, it's, it's really my inability to not monetize my hobbies. So when I worked okay. in Colorado, some one of the, the guys out there, Don Hobbies Clog being knives? Knives, oh, okay. yeah. So Don Clogliano in Colorado used to make his own knives, and he'd bring them into the office. And I just got obsessed with Damascus steel, if you know what that is, this folded process of creating just this impervious knife, just this beautiful, it's, it's art and it's a tool. Um, and it became just this Zenta activity for me, grinding knives and, and making knives. So I made my first good knife and I put it on the, the counter of my store in the locksmith shop because we have like our retail. Mm -hmm. And it sold the next day for way more money than I ever thought I would get for it. It was like 140 bucks or something. And uh, so I made another knife and I put it on there and it sold the next day. And I'm like, huh, okay. So what's something different? What's a different take that I could take? Because obviously there's a lot of competition in knives. And being able to create a custom knife, average purchase was about a hundred bucks. Um, that's customized directly to the person. So you come in, you pick the blade that you want. We have the most unique handle material you could ever think of. I had customers bring in uh, a tree that their the tire swing was on from their childhood yard. Wow. Um, the branch broke off, and I would stabilize the wood and turn that into a knife set for the whole family for Christmas, you know, for a hundred bucks. Like nobody can do that. Like that's an expensive knife. So you. Our target market was there's there's cheap knife buyers, right? You're gonna go buy a thirty dollar Gerber or whatever. And then there's the people that are gonna go buy, like me, a seven hundred dollar Mykov Damascus knife from Czech, right? Um, and then I wanted to serve this new market and kind of create a new market of of knife enthusiasts and collectors and just users, which was just somebody that wants a quality knife that's really truly customized to what they want. Um, and it was, a, it blew up. I couldn't believe how quickly it blew up. It was insane. Is that something you think you would get back into? I don't know. Maybe see what Casey wants to do. Yeah. So still a hobby though of yours. Um, yeah, I haven't done it in a while. This guy came into my office the other day. Uh, he's on, uh, he was affected by agent orange in Vietnam. Um, and he's on extreme blood thinners and his, his house key is small. Mm -hmm. Um, and it goes in and if he just turns it just a little too hard, it cuts his fingers open. He can literally yeah. die from this. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really make like a proper safety cap key. Like this is not a very big need that, you know, so it's not a problem that people are solving. And then the, when he was in there, he's like, I don't know if you remember me, but I came in and I bought a knife from you. And he just started kind of geeking out over the knife company. Um, I said, I, and, and I didn't have a solution for him at the time. I said, I've got a solution for you. So I pulled out all of my handle making techniques and I made this guy a custom key. And I had been saving some of my handle material in the back that was just small little scraps that really meant a lot to me. So I took a piece of cherry burl and I made him a custom key that will not kill him. 
And that was a really good feeling. Like that's, that's, that's what it's all about. Right. And obviously there's, there's no money in that transaction. It's just about problem solving. Yeah. But you get pride more out of that than pro any sale you did that just day. what it's all about. Yeah. The, the, just the joy in that guy. Like that's it, wow. All that's worth cool. it. But that, I think that comes back. Like, I call it tinkering, but just like, you know, right. finding, finding solve solutions. a problem. Yeah. And, um, so why, again, going back into like the entrepreneurial spirit aspect of you, like you, you kind of got thrust into it early by taking over your dad's place. Yeah. Is that something you set out, not take over your dad's place, but set out as like entrepreneurial like, or were you just kind of like, what was your path you think before that? Well, I think like, uh, the difference between a lucky person and an unlucky person is recognizing opportunity when it's in front of you. Yep. Right. And my entrepreneurial path started before that when I was in high school and I think my dad implanted it in me a lot. I know he did. And I'm very grateful for that. So, um, one, he made me start working full time very young. I had a full time job when I was 13. But then that entrepreneurial spirit, he would take me to Sam's Club and I'd buy cases of candy and I'd bring it to school and resell it at a 50% markup at least. Mm -hmm. um, but I would try to maintain a 50% margin as I grew. And then the school shut me down because nobody was buying anything out of the vending machines, right? So that was, I don't know how old I was when I did that, maybe seventh grade. Um, and then being a musician, you know, you got, that's, that is, you know, I'm sales, marketing, finance, everything. Yeah. And, then, and then what a difficult, you learn failure so quick being a professional musician. Um, it's feast or famine and you're going to get rejected a lot. So it may be pretty impervious to failure. Like it's failures. Success is not sequential. Failure is inevitable. Like that's, that's my, my motto, right? Mm -hmm. Like just failure doesn't mean shit. Excuse my friends. Like that's failure right. is just an opportunity to do better yeah. um, and, and to learn. Um, so when I got that, that job in a reggae band, you know, we had a $400,000 budget for 10 months. Um, I kind of like ran the numbers. And then we got to our, we got three weeks into it and we ran out of money. And that's when I learned cash flow models, okay. right? So yeah, we were going to have $400,000 coming in and we had it all budgeted out and our salaries coming out of it, but we didn't predict, or we could have, but we didn't know to think when is that money actually going to come in? Mm -hmm. How do I, when the expenses, right? Out. How do I understand a statement of cash flows, right? Yeah. And cash flow management. So I learned cash flow management. Now we've run out of money. All we have is merchandise. Our next contract's not paying us for two and a half weeks. How do we feed ourselves? So I'm not going to go crawling back to daddy, mm -hmm. right? So now we've got merchandise. I learned how to cold call sell really, really well, walking on the street selling merchandise or finding places just like literally hiring me off the street for 50 bucks to play piano. Um, so I learned marketing, budgeting, sales, management. You know, I was living in a van with six people. So then fast forward to, uh, and again, I didn't realize at the time all these things were training me to be a good business owner. Yeah. I bought my dad's business. And at first we were working together and quite frankly, we bumped heads. We didn't get along at all. He had this old school way and I had all these ideas from other integrators, my own ideas, and it made him very uncomfortable. Um, change is uncomfortable when you've been doing the same thing mm -hmm. for such a long time. So he actually fired me six months before I bought him out. Um, and then I bought him out and like I said, he grew his business 600% in a very short time. Um, saw the glass ceiling or at least I didn't want to grow it any past that and then started the other businesses to hit my goals. Um, so I would say now, again, entrepreneurial, but so what was the, what was the purpose of selling and joining Casey? Was it just following the vision? Yeah, I still get to him? have, I mean, he allows me to do what I do. So I still have that entrepreneurial spirit. Like I'm in charge of the Plattsburgh office, but I'm, I serve on the executive team with, with Casey. So, so you have I, a lot of autonomy within the, just the office every day or full autonomy, basically. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, I get, he gets to follow his gut yeah. and I get to mitigate all of that. So do you find like, 
Um, you hear a lot of. Um, I've always looked at you know, like the visionary, the uh, the person that comes up, and then like the integrator, the person that just like runs everything through. So yeah. you would put yourself more that's in that integration, or correct. with a little bit of visionary. No, that's a great. Did you read Traction? Is that where you got yeah. that from? Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's a great book. Rocket I love fuel. that. I, it's, all it's those so ones, good. But yeah. But yeah, the visionary and the integrator, and I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't pigeonhole it quite that much. I've definitely, uh, obviously, I'm a visionary of my own, um, and and Casey offers me the platform to explore all of that, right? Um, and then again, I get to do what I do on the inside of the business, just solving problems. So whether it's an accounting issue or you know, like the consulting business that I owned was a virtual CFO and virtual marketing company. Mm-hmm. So CMO and CFO, where my focus is on that. Um, so finance is my thing and I really enjoy it and I like solving problems in finance. So that's what I do. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool. I, I, uh, yeah, I mean just, just reading everything. I mean, obviously your background, but just kind of reading everything with the company. It's like, you guys are just like, I love this, the, the approach. I love how you guys just look at, um, except take, taking problems and solving it. And that's, that's something I try to do every day. I mean, my brain hurts almost every day, but I find that as, as we've grown and he was even alluding to it, you get away from what you did for years of doing the same thing, like sales, like for my business, sales, 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 that was what your, your focus was. And then it gets to the point where like, okay, there's 18 people within the company that you're trying to manage or have responsibility over. And even if you don't talk to them every day, you're still responsible for something if it comes up with them. And then, and then naturally trying to get ahead and trying to kind of see the future and put things in place. And um, that I found that like my, that's what I was kind of asking, like, do you guys get a lot of time to just, plan and process and it sounds like he's really much on the fly just kind of taking things and and yeah it sounds like he's quick, with it. quickly to adapt the stuff too he's, he's quickly to adapt um he's got a lot of trust as well mm-hmm. um you know i'm definitely i i, I guess i, I we, we we spend every time planning and processing every week the managers get together and we talk about it we have our managers meetings and then territory meetings um so there is a, there's so much planning and processing but again what casey i think does best is hiring people that know how to do that for themselves as well mm-hmm. and finding self-motivated and self-guided people so that way he doesn't have to micromanage, which is his least favorite thing to do. Yeah. You know, let the inmates run the asylum. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the uh, what I was getting from him because I'm the same way. Like, I managing to me is like, it's just, a, it's a mind, it just, it's a drain. It's exhausting. Yeah, and and to me it's more of, like, just I, I'll, I'll help you do your thing, but, like, I want you to do your thing. Like, I don't want to babysit. It's more of, like, you know, giving you, giving you the range, just run with it. Um, so what's your vision for the company going forward? Whew. I have no idea. Because one of the things that I read when I was – your last – the last words you wrote in the article or, or words you said in the articles were just getting started. So, like, I, I kind of – you know, obviously you talked about having the excitement and everything going forward. Like, what, what are you most excited about and where do you think – listening to him talk, already in my head, I'm like, this – to me, when he's talked about, like, I think just growing in New York, I could see this. Well, yeah, and I, I think he was that. understanding that. We have that. contracts in Arizona, Colorado, Utah, New Hampshire, Vermont, Pennsylvania. Yeah. This is five years in. Um, we just opened up opportunity in another state. Um, it, it's really just, and that's, again, what I really, the synergy between Casey and I is we're just about opportunity. The mm-hmm. difference between a lucky person and an unlucky person is recognizing opportunity in front of you. And neither of us will say no to opportunity. So it's really just wherever the road goes. And this could blow up, you know, like huge national, or it could not, and it could stay regional. And I think that's, I think the most important thing for the next two years is to to build our foundation of what we've just, the expansion that he just did was a month before he hired me. Um, 
so there's when you when you grow that quick there's a lot of work that goes into you know mitigating all of that uh the risk that comes along with that so we're good and we're solid i think that we continue to build that core and if you have a proper core you can go anywhere anywhere yeah and that, that's what it sounds like and you guys are running pretty to me pretty lean at 30 something employees so it seems, it's pretty amazing like, yeah it's it's very lean right now uh you brought up e-commerce i have a background in e-commerce with Plattsburgh knife company and then also mm-hmm. helping some other companies with their e-commerce so there's opportunity there to allow us to grow without having to grow our manpower and, and management needs um but again, who knows where the opportunity is, but we'll find it. Yeah, and I think we talked about competition too. I think naturally people enter the arena when it opens up, but when you have that head start, you kind of are first, first no. to market. And there's other integrators like competition. I guess the biggest competition I have is our customer mm-hmm. and just educating them the difference between, because I hate the, even the word integrator almost pigeonholes us, but there's certainly other integrators. But it, And I'm not saying what they do is, is worse or bad, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. We have a completely different approach. We truly don't have any competition. And if somebody wants to try to step into that ring with us, like we're welcome to it. There's, there's, there's plenty of fish in the sea like this. It's not an issue, but we are out on our own, at least in, in this region. Well, I think too, when, when you look at uh, like competition, I, like I've always focused on competitions. I know it's cliche, but it's yourself. Like you really like to me, it's if you... I've always like if there's someone else doing something better or whatever, it's like I can't control their output. I can't control their input. It said to me, it's it's what can I do? I can use them as inspiration. I can use them as maybe you know you could use as external motivation. But like obviously he said he had you know some run it or some uh, some bad things with the past companies, but that might I'm assuming motivated him. But at the end of the day, it's really he can't control their 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 action. So it really comes back down to Casey or back to Justin or whoever that you know you guys are you know. Uh, captaining the ship going you know and and well we got other leaders on the team as well like i I meant like you guys are from a the leadership team but the people that are part of uh chimera just the you guys are the ones that are responsible for your your own success it's like you um nobody's going to affect you guys as much as you're going to affect you guys so like you're only going to be affected by outside forces if you let them because nothing else is just going to fuel you just to kind of work harder kind of well that's the scary thing right yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think that's what... Right, it's that mind control. Like, you're right. Like, I'll, we'll only, anybody will only be affected by what we allow ourselves to be affected by. Mm-hmm. And you have to, that's a, did you ever read Extreme Ownership? Yeah. yeah right, that's a great book. Yeah. Like, and it's the same thing. You got to own, it's, it's my, it's my responsibility. Yeah. I own it. And that's another one of our core values is own it. Like, just own it. Mm-hmm. Period. But that's the scary thing is when we let our minds be affected by things that it probably shouldn't, because that's when we fall down and we fail. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's, um, yeah, it's cool. Now, the use of AI, I want to kind of ask you a little bit about that. Um, how do you guys use AI in your products, first off? Yeah, that's a great question. So AI in the camera that I was showing you earlier will analyze sound to determine threats automatically and notify you of an anomaly or a threat. Um, AI in cameras, whether it's on edge technology or built into the servers, can do things like, for instance, if I put a camera outside of this building, again, before you have a security system inside and a camera inside and outside, somebody breaks into the building, two minutes later, the security system goes off, and then five minutes, 10 minutes later, the cops show up, right? That's, that's what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Now I put a camera on the outside of the building with a speaker attached to it. It can tell the difference between a deer, a moving tree, and a human. And it can tell the difference between a human that's standing 10 yards away or approaching the building. And if the person is on private property approaching the building 
after hours during the parameters that we set, it will automatically talk to that person, let them know that they should not get any closer to the building. How many people do you think are going to have the guts to continue breaking into that building after somebody just said, hey, you in the blue shirt, stop approaching the building? Well, That's I, AI. That, and I think you, you even said, like, if someone's approaching with, like, a book bag or a box, I was reading the article, oh, like, man. That, that you could pretty much say, like, alert the supervisor, like, hey, someone might be coming in. Well, that was, uh, so that was for a liquor distribution warehouse with uh, a lot of high-end liquor getting stolen from internal employees. So we trained our cameras. We sent an employee down for a couple hours with a box and a backpack. We have to train the cameras to tell them what we want them to know. But then they self-learn after that. And the cameras learn that if an employee or human mm-hmm. approaches a door with a backpack or a box to lock the door and notify a supervisor. It's just crazy. Yeah. it's And then you, it goes down to, this was the camera system. You said like the heat maps, but the, the noise detection, whether it's screen, glass breaking, gunshots. Faces, license plates, will be able to actually read those. Um, I think the there was, yeah, lock stores. Um, I think some of the other ones when, that I kind of looking through here that really kind of caught my eye was like obviously the lock, the, the leak detection, shut off valves. But when you're going through from a company standpoint um, and security standpoint. Like, what, what do you think are the biggest things that, that companies need right now? Which ones do you think are the most, people are the most vulnerable, or companies are the most vulnerable with? Because you talk, obviously talked about the water meters, just that was a simple one that was like, to me, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, I think it depends on what type of uh, segment we're talking about. So in multifamily housing, um, how do we maintain the costs for the owners of the building, the landlords of the building, or make them better and give them an ROI on their investments? And how do we pass that standard of living on? Like, I, th- I think that's like the cherry on top is the tenants get a better living experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but a pipe breaks inside of an apartment building. My building is in California. So the pipe breaks, it runs for hours, and I have no idea. And then I've got a huge, huge problem. Water damage is huge, right? Now with these systems, and we're talking like a couple hundred bucks, like not a lot of money. Uh, the pipe breaks, our leak detection goes off, and then I can hit the water shutoff valve from my app. So I get notified, I turn the water off, I text the plumber a credential, and then I open my cameras and watch everything happen. Right? Like that's a game changer. And that saves yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars of damage from happening, allows me to manage my property without having to go there, without having to give out a key. Mm-hmm that this person can now duplicate or not give back or lose. I text them a credential that will be valid for 24 hours and I don't have to worry about it again. You know, so it it just depends on where we're going. Um, Again, using the AI at a landfill, um, if somebody's not wearing an orange vest behind a piece of heavy equipment, we can notify somebody in real time. This is what's called man down analytics. So if 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 our camera notices somebody laying down on the ground where there shouldn't be, there's a good chance they're hurt and it'll notify somebody in real time that there's a person down. Think about that in a nursing home. Yeah. Again, instead of a camera that says, oh, this employee stole something or whatever incident happened or liability happened, a camera that will tell you in real time if one of your patients has fallen. It's kind of a game changer. Yeah. Especially with staff shortages right now. Like, how do we, how do we take care of that as a society when we can't employ people in our hospitals? How do we make up for that lack? AI is, is the answer. So, because you talked about um, 
healthcare being one of your main ones, that and schools. So like, what are the two, is that one of the main ones you work with right there? The, I mean, for health, um, within the healthcare facilities, is that one of the main issues? Uh, that's, that's certainly one of them. Cameras is huge. Um, and now the regulations on how they have to store the footage is getting crazy and cloud is a huge part of that. So having to store your information for seven years, mm -hmm. like there's hospitals that pay us $10,000 a month in cloud storage, right? Like it's crazy. Um, and then on the flip side, nurse call, Geron is a, is a huge distributor of ours. So doing the nurse call systems and then visibly for patient management and care management. So now again, with COVID, you got one person in the hospital, the family can't come to visit it. Well, now the family at home can have access on their app to see the condition of their patient, communicate with, with, or with their family rather. Um, so we have all these systems visibly, Geron, uh, access control, anti-ligature hardware. Um, so on, um, psychiatric wards to make sure people are safe mm -hmm. um so there's really there's there's so much that we can do within a, a hospital is probably our densest market that we can do so much with and what about schools like what, what would how did you guys tie it to the schools schools again the camera systems gunshot detection lockdowns um we just did a school we're uh, upgrading the front entrances with bulletproof glass for the doors mm -hmm. um again lockdown is huge even asset tracking panic buttons um even simple things for schools, when you think about the cost of running a facility and now they're cutting music programs and they're cutting all this to save money and right. keeping it in important infrastructure like facilities, well, how can we save them money on facilities? How much time do they spend when they lose a ladder? You know, for a small tag going onto the, the ladder, asset tracking is a big deal and being able to pinpoint where things are when you need them and to make sure they're not getting stolen as well. Um, well, there's one I think you talk about smart cities like lights would only come on. Obviously, you've seen some with like motion detection lights, but this would, I'm assuming is a little bit more like person leaves, it goes off. Like it, um, I think that was part of the smart cities where you said like street lights would only really come on if somebody was walking through there, so they're just not wasting electricity. Right. So there's that end of it, and then there's parking sensors. So in real time, the city can be notified if somebody's parking in front of important infrastructure like a fire hydrant. The waste bin monitoring, think about any garbages that are on that side of the city. Mm -hmm. How much money is the city spending on sending a person around to check all of these? Or are they not? And then they're overflowing, and yeah. now we have litter and other problems. You know, So for very inexpensively, they can monitor these trash bins on a map. The app gives them a map of where all of these sensors are, and they don't have to worry about it anymore. Do you guys work a lot with municipalities? Absolutely. That's, yeah. a, that's a huge, huge thing that we're doing. We're working with uh, the city of Syracuse right now. Another thing with like homeless people, um, putting in um, ambient room monitors to be able to tell if somebody's in a room. Um, so being able to just know when buildings are may have a drug issue or, or how to or take care of exactly. Um, so now, do you find that like the use of AI and it, I kind of have opinions on it, but you're you're more in it. it the use of AI being um, too much or being unethical or there's so many watching. huge there's so many huge ethical lines that could, that could be crossed and uh and that's again why it's important to, to partner with the right company yeah um casey especially really everybody on this teams is, is there's that fine line um where you can be crossing it like for instance with the sound analytics it's gunshot or screaming but it doesn't record any sound in new york state specifically without a lot of notifications it's illegal to record sound without one knowing party present mm -hmm. that knows they're being recorded um so there, there's there's a lot of ethical lines that can be crossed and it's it's a dangerous world it's getting crazy do you find that uh i mean are, are companies crossing those lines or technologies crossing those lines 
Whereas, you always hear like Amazon, like with Alexa, and you hear all these like horror stories of people. Um, and then obviously you have the idea that is it recording all the. So I'm actually listening to a book right now. Um, Jeff Bezos' newest book is called. Um, I actually have it up there too. Invent and Wander. But he starts going in like Alexa was only going to track if you say Alexa and it lights up and it takes right. it in. But then there's also the idea that is this always tracking? And then you have, you know, it's good if there's like a criminal case because then you could listen to the tape. But then it's also, is there too much information being being stored in the cloud that it can be used? It's crazy. Because it, it's kind of like It's that, really it's crazy. It's like almost being spied on, you know? It, it's, it's literally like being spied on. And really when you think about how easy it is to, to tap into a phone or your location settings are on here. The things that we're doing are so far removed from what's unethical that happens right here. But again, there's opportunity to cross those lines. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't. Well, no, yeah. Just but, not, but do you think that that's... Um... And there's a lot of regulation on it, too, on how things get manufactured. There's, there's equipment that we've got access to that, you know, typical consumers don't have access to that the government says you guys can't have access to, mm -hmm. right? Especially as a GSA certified safe and vault cracker, as crack safe for the Department of Defense. You know, I just got, I've been wanting it for so long, I just got a tool. Uh, it auto dials every possible combination into a safe and cracks it uh, surreptitiously, automatically without what, me doing it. What's that mean, surreptitiously? Uh, without leaving any evidence, I can okay. crack a safe. It will try every possible combination on the safe and then just open it for me. How long would that take? Up to 48 hours. Wow. And that's just all, just algorithm? Just yep. It just, Knows the patterns of opening based on how I program it. It opens the safe for me. And that can open any safe with any combo? Any mechanical safe, yeah. That's and true. then on the electronic side, they just came out with a tool. Um, I think it's 3500 bucks, and it'll hack almost every major electronic safe manufacturer's lock within 15 minutes. So if you're someone that... And these Those um, tools, are, are those open to the public? To right. Buy? Those are some of the stuff that's not open to the public. Okay, so I got put on a lot of lists to get those tools. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, you can go in and buy a, um, a card scanner to steal people's RFIDs, right? Like you, you scan a badge to get in. Mm -hmm. And depending on what level of encryption those cards have, it's like 50 bucks on Amazon to be able to skim their card and then break into the building. So again, when you've got these kind of older integrators that are selling this cookie cutter solutions mm -hmm. and this is becoming commonplace like this isn't just like mythical stuff like this is you can go on amazon and buy the tool scan somebody's card really easily if they ever leave it out and then use it to break into then you clone their card and break into a building um so when you were doing the the, the lot or max was that um because obviously you're doing locksmith stuff so you found how, like how, how easy is it to break into most doors or most most whatever you're trying to get well and again when you're locks. talking about i love like covert and surreptitious entry it's but it's a hobby of mine um so it just depends on the lock because you always uh, hear like the credit card you hear like credit card super easy and then like you have, your door i could credit card open probably yeah, say, as long it doesn't even have a lock bolt, right but, yeah as correct. long as it's not a deadbolt you could get in but you've seen key bumping if you want to have fun check out defcon 19 non diy non-destructive non entry defcon 19 diy non-destructive entry so I actually learned a lot from this video, even though I've been breaking into things my whole life. Um, I had this, you ever seen those round tubular keys like on soda machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called an ace key, right? Okay. So I had one that was an odd size and my pick wouldn't fit inside of it. And I had this lock, it was like a special gumball machine that was like a, you know, important item to the customer. It was in my shop for like a year, I just couldn't pick it. I couldn't pick it. I watched that video and he shows you how to pick it with a big pen. You just really? bite the end of a cap off, pick it with a big pen, it's all my, 
BS. Like, there's no way this is real. So I went over that lock that I've had that's been kicking my ass for almost a year. I bit the end of the big pen off. I shoved it in and I twisted it counterclockwise and unlocked it in like 10 seconds. I couldn't believe it. And the guy talks about breaking into a car with a popsicle stick with a self-impressioning attack, which is just an extreme version of what he's doing, but it's completely legit. Everything in that video is very real and I've vetted every single piece of it. So it's, it's, it's just about understanding the, the, no matter how strong something is, it's only as strong as his weakest link. Yeah. So when you get into safe cracking, that's a whole nother animal. But again, everybody attacks the hinges. They think the bolts. You, you go in and there's a very small part. I usually I can get in with less than a quarter inch bit. Um, I drill in, dial the combination in, fix the hole, lock is fine, and I walk away. Nothing's destroyed. So most locks you could fix very quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, when you look at those big, I'm always curious on this. When you look at those big safes, like the old, like you, you might see them. I always call it like the Titanic safe, but the one, the big safe that you open up the door and it's got, it looks like it's layers deep. Yeah. So what was the purpose of it having layers deep like that? So that was actually to stop nitroglycerin from getting poured into the safe on a lot of them, especially during the gold rush in the West. So okay. if you come into my office, I've got a safe from 1883 that's got those step downs. And it was also a way of, of layering it. But ironically, those safes are actually typically very weak, um, most of them. So what, what's the best kind of safe that you think? Ones that people don't know about. Like, like the best security is is to not tell anybody what your security is, yeah. right? So, so first of all, just Unknown. hide it yeah. and don't tell people. Um, but to say what's the best, I mean, the finish make the best locks in general. Okay. Um, also, uh, the hardest safe I ever cracked was a safe that was made in the Jewish Diamond District in the late 1800s. So it was made out of six inches of hardened steel. It was in the basement of a bank. The bank didn't even know it was there. They got bought out and they had to prove all their assets. Well, there's this vault in the basement they just never opened. They opened the vault because they had the combo and it's full of like Freemason swords and paintings and like crazy stuff from the turn of the century. But then inside the vault was a safe that was stronger than the vault it was in. It was made by Terwilliger. Um, so they contracted me to crack this safe. No idea what's in it. I spent 18 hours looking through two quarter inch holes cracking this safe. Had one of the rarest locks in the world on it. 18 hours. I'm exhausted in this basement. They'd actually hired another locksmith out of, uh, or safe cracker out of uh, New York City at, after like my fourth day because they're like, he's never going to get it. And then right as that guy standing behind me, I cracked the safe and got it open. But 18 hours was the hardest thing I've, I've done. Wow. And yes, there was a lot of stuff inside of us full of gold. Did, did um, so when you're, when you're cracking, when you're cracking safes, I mean, is that, that just becomes the problem solving again, especially with those. It's the ultimate problem so, to solve. So the you, safe was designed to keep me out. Yeah. And that's a big, not my problem. So that's like a big curiosity kind <laughs> right. of thing. For it's you. just a, it's a, it's almost like an ego thing, but it, I have ADD so bad. I can't focus on anything ever, but for some reason, safe cracking piano and knife making, I can hyper focus on those things for hours. I, well, I always look at like just a generic safe with like a combo code, like yeah. use like a fireproof safe or something like right. that. But, um, but yeah, when you start going into these massive things, it's just like, so that was that the coolest safe you ever like tried to pick or was that just the hardest? Um, that was the hardest. You have like cannonball safes. My favorite safe is in my office also is made in 1834. It's not very secure, but it's, it's all nailed together on wood. One of the first safes ever made in the U.S. It's called a hobnail safe. So it has all these nails. It's this gnarly medieval looking thing. Um, so I'm a really big fan of that. Um, you know, in the industry you get, called so, into some crazy places. So if we ever have like a, a bar lock, if I don't remember the combo, bring it to you, you could you could pick it in... That's my thing. Like seconds. 
Uh, minutes. I mean, it just depends what it is. Like Every a generic, surface, like, a generic like... Generic My record is 30 seconds on a safe. That's wild. ATMs I have down to a science. My record on that is 67 seconds. And are those pretty generic overall, or are they all different? A lot of them. Like a lot of the, like the ATM you may see around town. I got contracted with a casino to crack their ATMs. Each of their ATMs had a half a million dollars in them, and they had 20 of them. So $10 million in ATMs. And they had what's called an external relocker. So you have a lock where your combo is, but if somebody messes with that lock and tries to knock it off, it springs off these other pins that relock it. Well, the manufacturer forgot to write down where those were. So I'm sitting here just making pin cushions out of these safes, trying to find these relockers. And it was just, and I have to do it in the middle of the night. All of the ATMs were outside because I couldn't do it during business hours. It was just the most exhausting, like difficult. It was just tedious. It was so hard. It was just hard in the sense of just long, physically exhausting, but you knew how to do it. It's just like, yeah, it was just a matter of finding where the stuff was because the manufacturer forgot to write it down. Yeah. So, uh, that's crazy. Sounds like a good time. Um, let me see what else I have here for you. Um, I get, I guess on the piano aspect, when did that happen? Cause you said um, reggae. Yeah, that was random. <laughs> so I'm classically trained on the piano. Okay. Um, I started well, you, go, yeah, when'd you start? So I started pretty young. Flute was my first instrument, but it was only male flute player. So I was getting beat up a lot. Yeah. So I was like, I can't do that. This is not good for my career. <laughs> and that was in fifth grade. So then I just instantly switched to uh, piano. My grandmother lived with me growing up, and she was uh, blind. Okay. And I was the only grandchild she never saw. So we had a really, really close connection. Um, so I was, like, reading her opera transcriptions to her when she'd get them. And really, like, she really got me into music. My dad was a musician as well. Um, so then a piano was outside of her, her room, and I would just sit there and play just all the time. And then I kind of outgrew the teachers in Plattsburgh and my parents found a teacher in Montreal to come down and start teaching me um, in 10th grade or ninth grade. Um, then hired another teacher, um, then started going to school for music and then I realized I hate school and I don't want to be a teacher, so. But you can still play piano. I love piano. Do so you, do I, you play I, most days? Um, I wouldn't say most days. I just took a trip to Key West and made sure I found time to sneak into a church and play a piano, so. Any, any chance I get, I'll play a piano. Um, that's on my bucket list of just things to learn. I mean, guitar I know a little bit, but not like, not, I'm not proficient. And just enough I could get by a little bit here and there. But piano's one. We have a keyboard at home that I bought. My wife used to play as a kid. So I bought it, one for her. And she can still go and play like the scales and chords and things like right. that. But then me just trying to learn it, like I'm so, like I, I just haven't sat down and actually learned it. But it's Just don't take a traditional path of learning everything. Like don't learn sheet music. I haven't looked at sheet music in 15 years. So you like, just go was by ear or do you go by learn chords yeah and then learn the scales a little bit and learn how to just move your fingers and then when you just i just google whatever song like my soon-to-be wife she's an amazing singer and uh i don't know half the song she wants me to sing but she'll give me the song i'll just google the chords to that song yeah have her sing it for like five seconds so i can get the idea and then just you know once you know the chords you can play anything so okay so is pianos most of the chords then yeah I mean, there's obviously like variations, cause correct? You know, but it's so it's kind of like guitar. It's all mostly chords. You can exactly. Have these, like, special weird you can chords. finger pick your chords, right? On yep. the guitar, you can do the same thing on the piano and appreciate them. Yep. Um, but it just depends what you want to do with it. If you just want to have fun, kind of plucking chords and singing along, then so is that kind of like your mind your release, just to, like zone out? Yeah, yeah. I play just about every instrument, and uh, really? but piano is my core. So so like guitar, drums. I'm, trying to, like, I'm not obviously. very good at uh, the drum set, but hand drums I do really well with. Um, I just started learning the Duke, which is a Middle Eastern uh, double reed instrument, okay. which is just crazy and sounds amazing. 
What was it look? What's the shape of it? It looks like a recorder almost, and you play it like this. You ever seen like the Does snake charmers when their cheeks yeah. are puffed out? Yeah. So it's that instrument. Um, so it has that kind of like a Middle Eastern kind has, of like yeah, a, beautiful, smooth. It's almost like a Middle Eastern saxophone. Yeah. So. Where do you, you, you can get those easy? No, some guy traded me some knives for it. And I was like, I got to learn this. Then I have a didgeridoo. Yeah. So. Well, I know those are the bigger, long right. kind of things. Like, almost like a reed instrument, right? Oh, uh, yeah. It's just your whole mouth fits in this pipe and you just play it. It's weird. I don't play that one often. It's just fun. Well, that's have. the one that like, has like the... Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So then Native American flutes are yeah, a like huge a passion of mine. kind of thing. Yeah. So I've got a lot of flutes from Na- like the Native American tribes. It's one of my favorite things to play. So you just pick them up and learn them? That's so easy. Especially the Native American flutes. Where, where do you... So, because Casey sounds like this too. Are you just someone that tries to pick up on stuff every day, just learning new yeah. things, like curiosity? It's not that I try to. I think it's just that like we're both like curious people. Yeah. And we just like... If, if it looks interesting and it's shiny, I'm probably going to pick it up and play with it. And then do you try to get good at it? Like, are you one of those... Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I, I don't try to do anything. Like, striving is like against who I am as a human like, okay. I, like striving is one condition for suffering right why would I strive to do anything I just do what feels natural that is right for the world and I think I'll be okay and then you just so you just kind of let your gut just kind of take you in that yeah that's exactly what it is so that's why you guys connect a little bit I think that's why yeah like we definitely have some synergy there and it, and it makes sense do you find you're more like type so that'd be what, like more type B kind of personality? I don't know the definitions of those personalities. I think A is a little more like anal. Like you're just like, I would say I'm more of an A. I'm easygoing, but then I'm also like, I get very high strung and like, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this. Correct. I, I definitely get high strung. And if you ask some of the people that I work with, especially or vendors that are where I'm the customer, I can be pretty firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just when there's, when it's time to do shit, it's time to do it. Mm-hmm. When it's time to play, it's time to play. Yeah. Like I've got a job to do. I love the job that I do. And if somebody's getting in the way of stopping me from solving that problem, I'm probably going to be a little bit frustrated. Yeah. So, but it's, I try not to strive. It's a cool way of looking at it. I'm just kind of like trying to internalize that, but I know what you're saying. It's just not having that expectations kind of lowered. Expectation. That's the word. I don't have any expectations. Expectations are what the Buddhists believe is the sole source of suffering. Are you, do you set goals for yourself? They, no. They kind of loose or like directional goals? Obviously, like you want to. My goal, I've got goals on how I want to be a good father mm-hmm. and a good husband. Um, but you mean like financial goals? Which just could be like company goals, like when we talked about, like, do you plan on openings? Like, I'm just kind of going. Here's it sounds what, like both of you just say, like, as things kind of come, we just look at the opportunity and take it. When I first bought my dad's business, it was doing $100,000 a year in sales. Mm-hmm. I said, man, if I can get to $200,000 a year in sales, I'll be good. I did that in six months. I'm like, shit. And I wasn't good. And not just because I needed more money. Like, there was so much more to it. It was such a stupid goal to have. So I was like, okay, if I can get to a half a million dollars a year in sales, I'll be good. Mm-hmm. I got to a half a million the next year. And I'm like, crap, like, I'm still not good. So then I was like, okay, if I can get to 20 million a year by the time I'm 35, I'll be good. And, and that's when I, you know, I've got mentors that are doing a stupid amount of money. And I try to, I just, every time I, I set a goal, you're only setting a ceiling. Yeah. Like the, one of my mentors said, if you have a real goal, like, okay, you want your goal to be $10 million a year, double it and maybe you'll get there. So I've just really learned to not set goals and just, just do my best. Just do your best. Are you a pretty self-aware person? I mean, I try to be. Yeah. It's not I me mean, to focus on trying to be that way. 
Yeah, I, I think that's it's really important. If we're not self-aware, then what are we doing? Well, one of the things this so this past year, two things like one, life just gets gets crazy. Like I'm like you have young children, and and when you take take that, then the business, then everything else that comes with both of those, just everything's pulling at your time, pulling at like you said, you're on boards, and I've done a good job mitigating that stuff, like being on. Partly because I'm like, I just don't have the time. Right. But there's still things that just open up and you're like this, 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 and this. And one of the things I'm almost trying to do is slow down more. But slow yeah. down from things I'm saying yes to, but also trying to slow down when I talk about that anxious, like I got to get it done, got to get it done. Um, like one of the things, like I got into meditation because I find that meditation just allows me to kind of relax a little yeah. bit and just separate myself from craziness. present. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of, I'm trying to get more just internally focused and just kind of let things go and not in like you said the expectation but i've been wired my whole life especially 12 years of being like in the professional work world where it's goal strive to get this boom 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 and then so now i'm more of like okay let me just take a step back relax and just be a little more present and just try to get stuff done which is but for me it's like the mindset and the what i'm trying to evolve into but it's tough because it's it's a complete 180 from what I've been wired so so that's and that's that was the beauty of uh kind of the hard reset I went through in my 30s my 20s were goal oriented same and goals force you to strive Mm -hmm. right and obviously like there's there's metrics that are important in business or goals if you want to call them that but now instead of I mean how many times have I said the word values Mm -hmm. right if you have values you don't have to have goals because the rest of it just makes sense yeah that's it like so, I have values, or I tried to have values, and there was a book. Uh, did you read right away and all at once? No, it's my favorite business book, and one What's of the way right away and all at once. Um, but one of the one of the first things he says is st- start building eulogy values and stop building resume values. And that was that was a that was a who uh, who wrote that? Yeah. I'm not good with names. Okay, sorry. Right. I got uh, addicted to audiobooks a few years ago. And I, I just started doing all of them. I'm a big. Uh, I try to read a lot. My goal this year is six. Well, again, talking about goals, but my goal was to read sixty books this year. It's okay to have goals. That's yeah. Not what well, I to well, the uh, the idea with the goals was I just had read that the average CEO reads sixty books. So I'm like, let me just see if I can try it and see if that will make a difference. Because I audio books. Yeah. So audio books help, and I'm I'm a I'm kind of one. I look at people that are successful or ha- or have done something that I want to do, and just like let me just mirror copy or take yep. what I can from them. Don't reinvent the wheel. Correct. And I'm not a genius. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> like, that's, that's what I always like, look at. Is I'm not very smart, but I'm a, I, I can follow people that have done it, and they've learned from somebody, and they've learned right. from somebody. So it's like I'll just be in, I'll just be in the line. That's and, why mentors are so important. Yeah, and I, and and so I'm the same. I try to seek out people that are are even just listening to both of you talk. It's like you know, there's you're drawing some parallels. I'm like, I like that approach. Or I like that. And books for me, I mean, I have a ton of books on my shelf and my house. I, I, I one of the things I when people say they collect stuff, I collect books because I just like I'll just buy it and I'll put it and I'll just keep chipping away. So like I'll yep. get that book, I'll just put it and I'll just eventually get to it. And I think the idea of just trying to get different ideas from the books, audio books, like I said, the, the book I'm reading on Amazon. There's even just Am I going to remember 99.9% of it? No, but I'll pick one or two things. I'm like, yeah. I like that approach or I like the way he, his focus or his mindset on this. Yeah. And then it might draw a connection to a book I read three months later or three years later where it all ties in together. I'm like, yes, that's, that makes sense now. I, I, I usually keep three audiobooks going all at once. So okay. I'll have one that's just about me and self-improvement. I read a lot of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I identify very deeply with Buddhism. Um, 
So am I taking care of my mind? And then I'll read one that's just pure entertainment, just to give me a break. Like a fiction But still type. keep, yeah, it could be fiction. Um, and then just one that's just purely educational. And typically is around business, but I read a lot of psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping three all at once, especially with my ADD mind, I can kind of switch between them yeah. as needed. Um, lately, I've, I've dropped off on like the entertainment stuff, and I just keep one business and one spiritual. Like right now, I'm reading the, uh, the Tao of Pooh. Okay. So I've never read about Taoism, so I want to learn about it. Um, are those those pretty heavy to read, or are they? No, especially that it's literally written about Winnie the Pooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's teaching you Taoism through Winnie the Pooh, so it's gotcha. phenomenally entertaining. Uh, Buddhism, some of them are. I've got ones. I mean, I find it absolutely. I don't want to say enlightening, but um, engaging and really, really are interesting. They easy to read? Those books easy to read, though. For they... me, they are. Okay, I didn't know if they were like written like in like a variation of. Uh... No, like Old even like Hindu writing or no, something. no, no, no. So I find like uh, what's his name? Thich Nhat Hanh uh, just recently passed away this year. It was one of my favorite authors. He's Vietnamese, um, but it's written very practically, and it's just about the practical application in Buddhism. And really, where I came from was again in my twenties, going through therapy and finding out that all modern like CBT or like modern psychotherapy is rooted in Buddhism, is where it comes from. So I'm less into like the mythological religious side of Buddhism, but how can I, we talked about it, like how can we control our minds to not, to be impervious to the outside? Mm-hmm. How do I be strong for myself? And how do I maintain and not be affected by the storm? Yeah. Like it was ironic that he brought up the eye of the storm. I've got a tattoo of an eye of a storm on my arm. It's a really okay. important symbology to me. And, and I, we live in the eye of the storm. That's where I find my calm. You know, and if, if you're in the middle of the storm and you imagine that you're a tree, if you stare at your branches, it's really easy to become overwhelmed by the storm. If you stare at your trunk in your center, the storm doesn't move me. Right. So yeah. not getting caught up with your emotions. So that's that's where I get that from. Yeah, I'll probably I'll, I'll, I'll get a couple of those books ideas from me. after. Okay. But I think, uh, yeah, that, that's really where my my big focus has been recently is just on that because it's like I it's just you know when things are starting to get a little out of sync like you just feel things are just you know things are good but then things are just chaotic dissonance yeah and I find that it just I only have so much brain with that it it just gets to the point where it's overwhelming so it's more of like okay take it like just focus on what really needs to matter and then just kind of push everything else out and I've been trying to uh, you know read a lot of you know books articles listen to things regarding uh, kind of like the, like essentialism regarding kind of what you actually need to do and that right. like kind of all the noise. I saw that up there. That's from another book. I, yeah, I just added that, but that was from another book um, I just read. Um, I got a bunch of copies. You might want, you read it. You, you, you actually like read a lot or just more audio books? Mostly audio books, okay. but I read, uh, read too. Is a good yeah, office? I'll, right. I'll give you one. Um, but it's just the idea of like, I don't know, putting focus on the things that matter, but then also starting kind of internally and, in, in that's a major process. Well, that's mindfulness. Yeah. Right? That's it. Because you got to think about it. In my 20s, I didn't think about it. And I just was like, like just everything's thought. important. I'm just going to go everything full bore. Yeah. But what really matters? And that's why I went into hibernation. I took a step back. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, like, whew, that was fun. But what really matters? Yeah. What really, really matters? And that's the problem to solve. Exactly. And I think the 20s allowed... Well, it sounds like both of us allowed us a chance to just experience a lot yeah. and then just kind of hit reset. And, it, and a lot of his perspective, too. Like, I, my, my kids are, I don't know how your kid's older. Younger? Seven and ten. Okay, so they're younger, right? Um, but just having, like, young kids. Oh, wait, wait, wait. How old are you? 
I'm 32, so I'm not that much okay. younger than you guys. Yeah. Right. So, but my, my kids are four, three. I have three under four, so or four wow. under. So it's like God bless you. But it's it, yeah. So that's part of it too. Is that the last couple of years have just been you know every 18 months it seems 20 months we're adding just some like a new human to our family and then it gets to the point where you know each new one adds more layers of complexity. So we're really trying to find peace and quiet. And obviously, as you know, as a parent, things are just chaotic. And then you add a, a business where entrepreneur. You never shut off. There's no off button. So it's like, you know, the day never really ends. And you have to be that discipline of having the fun, discipline of shutting it off, discipline of, you know, for me, whether it's meditation or reading, just escape a little bit. And it, it's a work. It's always a work. But it's, 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 I think the journey that I'm on, I enjoy it. Obviously, it sounds like you've been on that path a little bit for a few more years. Um, but it just, I mean, you would say it's the right path that for you. Well, of course. I mean, whatever path we're on is the right path. Yeah. Right. I'm here for a reason because that's where my path led me. Yeah. Right. And, and I think really it's, it's one, what matters, but then what's the metric for success that we measure ourselves by. Mm-hmm. And if you don't define those metrics, they'll be defined for you. And again, in my twenties, it was kind of materialistic, I think, mm-hmm. um, without realizing, cause again, I never thought I'd be in business and all of a sudden I was really good at it. And I'm sure that went to my head in some way, mm-hmm. but what's the metric for success? Like what's your metric? Like, yeah, the, 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 the bills have to get paid. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty easy problem to solve, I think, once you learn how to solve that problem. Um, but that's not my metric for success now, mm-hmm. right? But what, what is? Like, what's your metric for your success? What, how do you know your, when are you gonna be successful? Or do you accept that you're successful today? I actually look at, from a different perspective, I have goals in the sense of like a vision of what I wanna do, but those, Vision is very undefined, meaning I don't know who, what, where, when, how, how much. Those are, and I, I don't try to put any metrics on those, but it's more of if I can do the things I know I need to do to work my way towards kind of having that vision or goal, then it would be fine. And I find that right now without without trying to put metrics on maybe every five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever that might be is, and I have goals in the sense of striving for like, and some of them have numbers on them. The closer ones right. have more metrics, but a lot of it is over the last six months is really driving back to, okay, if I'm going to do that, you know, what's, you know, what's values, what's important, how do I want to personally be in order to, and again, kind of block out the noise and chaos and all the things pulling at you. Cause again, it's, as you know, it's like, as you, accumulate more success doors open opportunities open and i'm i like saying yes to i'm the same thing i like saying yes but at a certain point you have to be able to say no and i have to be able to say that that, that shiny object i could be curious about it well and that's the point derail. that's the point you have to define though yeah before you get to it because if you don't define the point before you get to it you'll run right past it mm-hmm. and that's how business takes you away if you're not conscious and mindful about it yeah like you're saying like until you get to a certain point like define that point. And that's where I go back to my values of like, how much do I want to work a week? Like right now I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit more time. There's a lot of work to be done, but in five years I've been very clear with what my goals are. Right. Like, and again, it goes back to my values. My values are, am I present and available for my family? Mm-hmm. Is there food on the table? Do I have money and savings to sustain the future? And ultimately am I happy? Mm-hmm. Am I, do I have joy? Which is slightly different than happiness. Am I am I okay? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that yeah. No, I think I think 
and that's one of the things I think the last, for me, six months was like that happiness and joy. I was happy, but I was just overly stressed. Yeah. I had too much on my mind. I was like, I'm happy in most of the pieces of my life, but collectively, them all working together is just making me exhausted. And I have to, and, that, and to me, even though everything was happy, it was like the exhaustion factor was catching up with me. Well, like, like that's not, it's not, I'm not happy to be tired all the time. I'm not happy to be sacrificing right. things in order to do stuff. So then it's, it's more of, a lot of it's, it comes at the, um, the detriment of health. It comes at the detriment of time to yourself, sleep, food, you know. Your relationships. Yeah, and, and, and that's and part of, um, you know, we take like that, whatever, journey, that long journey. I busted my ass a lot when I was younger because I knew I wanted a family and wanted kids. So mm. now that I have kids, like, I'm not available as much anymore and right. purposeful on, you know, the evenings and the weekends and taking time off. And that's, yep. but that also, by putting those um, parameters in my life, then squeeze other parts so then it's like how can i be more efficient in that aspect right. to feed this side of the coin so um well justin i don't want to take more of your time because um but i think i would like to talk to you more because i think you're you're interesting you're interesting guy <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you said that just no, like right great. now in the in in my life seems like it ties in with what you're saying and like i said i think that from a mentor standpoint it almost sounds that you have some um some things that i would probably Try to take out. Well, likewise, it was uh, it's absolutely a pleasure coming today. Yeah, it's great. I know Casey wish he could have stayed. His, his schedule got crazy here at the last it's minute. It's but. all good. We got we got some good stuff out of him though. But I think I think what you guys are doing is cool, and I I love the approach of it. And I think that's the that was the one thing that really struck me when I read the article because obviously like security systems and stuff. There were some shiny objects in there. That I was like that's pretty cool. But I think just the the way you guys were speaking about it, and you know, obviously going through and looking at a few more. Um, deep dives into the company a bit. Um, it's it's just cool. Like I said, when you have those those people with the values, you know, uh, leading the charge and and um, yeah, I think you, the sky's the limit for you guys. You guys, this is really cool. It is really yeah. exciting. Yeah, you, like I said, so you said we're excited, but now I can <laughs> I can feel it myself. So right. no, it's awesome. But um, oh, if anybody can, wants to find you guys, how, how do they do so? Um, yeah, uh, you know, go to our website, chimerainintegrations.com. Uh, Casey and I and our team are huge on LinkedIn. Do a lot on LinkedIn. Um, that's how I met you, or you reached out to me. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, Chimera Integrations, and Instagram are not as um, active, but you shouldn't have to find us if it's something that you need, right? We'll find you. There you go. Like that's, that's my job in marketing. Like you shouldn't have to hunt that far. I like that. Um, all right, well, one there. Um, that's episode 187 again with Casey, Casey White and Justin Stearns. We're out. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E, L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.